Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Greatest of All Talk. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Goggle. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You know, I'm always out here preaching the virtues of getting out into open spaces and exploring national parks and all that, and I just would hope, after years of me uh, lecturing you about doing this, that at some point you would be able to see the forest through the trees. I mean, Mm. it's absolutely ridiculous what you've got me lined up to talk about here today. (laughs) You want to start the show with the Philadelphia 76ers, and I'm imagining, I'm imagining over there you've got some really carefully hand-scribbled notes from Philly's nice Game 2 victory, probably something along the lines of, wow, Shake Milton, didn't see that coming. What a second half difference maker. God, great bench production when they needed it most. And meanwhile, the biggest story in sports, not just basketball, but sports, is that Nikola Jokic was named 2021 NBA MVP today, only a matter of two hours ago. I don't see it even mentioned in this entire rundown. You put these things together, thousands Mm. of words. You text message me to let me know when you've sent it to me. I mean, I've (laughs) got to be high alert for these things. And you snub the most important award of the entire year. Andrew, this show is called The Greatest of All Talk. We pursue greatness in all of its forms. Correct. The closest you can get to assigning greatness in the NBA is the Most Valuable Player Award. Nikola Jokic wins it. He's not only the first guy to be drafted that late uh, to get it, 41st overall. No other player drafted outside of the top 15 has ever been MVP. Are you saying Jokic was drafted in the second round? He was a second-round pick, Andrew. (laughs) Not only that, he was the first Denver Nuggets player in franchise history to win the MVP, the first center since Shaquille O'Neal to win MVP in 2000. And Andrew, he's the first guy who I predicted five months ago would win it and actually did it. And that's the tricky part for me. You know, it's like maybe if you had nailed this pick months and months ago, it probably would have let off. But no, (laughs) completely buried, not even mentioned. The first player from the Balkans, one of the cradles of the sport. Are you reading from the NBA press release right now? Just running through these fun facts about the Jokic MVP? No, some of us do the research, Andrew. Some of us (laughs) dig deep to find out these little nuggets. And here's what I want to ask you, okay? Because I'm going to just hijack the show because, again, you've got us us going down (laughs) Shake Milton Expressway. Nobody cares, all right? Okay. Was Nikola Jokic the greatest draft pick in NBA history, right? I used to think it was Manu, right? I mean, Manu is a Hall of Fame-level player deep, deep in that second round. You've got Mark Gasol in the conversation, you know, Mm. Hall of Fame level guy in the second round. But if you're saying franchise level player, certified MVP, you got him at (laughs) 41. Has there ever been a better value draft pick than Nikola Jokic? Okay, so I just want to clarify here at the top. uh, The reason we're not starting with Jokic is because I do feel like generally, all things considered, we are the best NBA podcast. And we were on Jokic after like six weeks of the season. And we've done a lot of Jokic material over the course. And we were on him 
because of you. So you deserve credit no, for calling Jokic. No, 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 no. This isn't about you me. You called your shot on Jokic. No, this isn't about me. This is about Jokic. He deserves today's <laughs> honor. I'm just going to read you players taken before him. Okay. Clee Anthony Early, Jarnell Stokes, Johnny O'Brien, DeAndre Daniels. Mm. Um, I mean, the list goes on, Andrew. An I, I hear you. Lot of guys. Look, Mitch I was McGarry. a Clee Anthony Early guy. I wasn't a huge Mitch McGarry believer. I have no idea why the Thunder drafted him in the first round. Um, but actually, it's funny I should What about the Bruno? What uh, about Bruno? Two years away from being two years away. Jokic is just one MVP from being two MVPs away, man. Now he's got one. If I were to answer your question sincerely, I'll give it a shot. I think that the best draft pick, let's keep it to the last 20, 25 years. I think either Harden or Westbrook deserve mention in the best draft pick conversation because both of those were pretty big gambles at the time and paid off in a magnificent way. Whereas I think like Jokic, I don't credit Tim Connolly. I mean, like I Connolly deserves credit, but I wouldn't go overboard and say that like Connolly thought Jokic was going to turn into this. And so I, I'm reluctant to like call Michael Red or Gilbert Arenas, any of those you're basically just, you know, taking shots in the dark when you get to that point in the draft. So I'm not going to, like, go nuts about the, the the genius underlying all of this. I'm just saying, look, if you take a shot in the dark and that dart lands dead bullseye from 35 <laughs> feet away, you get a little credit for me on that one. I'm going to give it to him. I sure. mean, it was probably Arturis. You know, let's give Arturis a lot of love. Um but no, no and also it, it wasn't just Arturis, just for the record. Connolly was doing the legwork as well. And Connolly and Arturis, everybody associated with that front office deserves a ton of credit for what the Nuggets have turned into and the culture they have cultivated all along the way. I'm just talking about if we're like taking a step back and looking at history, I'm not like falling all over myself thinking, oh my God, they got him at 41. Like that's out of this world. Like he, and that, that should happen sometimes. I mean, Giannis was the 15th pick. Well, it should happen sometimes, but it's never happened before. That's the point. This is easily <laughs> the, the the deepest in the draft we've ever seen an MVP. Moses Malone went undrafted for kind of different reasons, but there's a big difference between drafting at 15 in terms of value and drafting at 41. So if you don't want to call it the best draft pick ever, I mean, that would be MJ at three, right? I mean, if you want to yeah. frame it the way you're framing it with, wow, what a risky no, no, no. gamble to no, take no, no. Westbrook five <laughs> spots early. <laughs> Look, Get out of here. MJ they found at a seven hundred easy dude. pick. MJ at dude. Whoever was running the Bulls, they don't deserve any credit for getting MJ at three. That was the most obvious pick in NBA history. They took a Goodyear blimp from Sambor, Serbia at 41 and turned him into an MVP. That's an incredible, incredible solution. And not only that, he's the first ever Coca-Cola Max spokesman to be MVP, first ever Krispy Kreme ambassador employee of the year to be an NBA MVP. The list goes on. It's an incredible draft pick. Show this guy some love. Great. Well, I'm glad we got to carve out some time to show Nikola Jokic some love. My favorite part about the little victory tour tonight was finding out that Jokic used to drink a gallon of soda per day. I believe that's what the Coca-Cola reference was to. I had never heard that before, and it reminds me of my favorite. How? <laughs> no, I mean, like, <laughs> Somehow I haven't heard like the one Jokic anecdote. People really got to like reach deep in the bag to, to try to make this dude fun. Wow. I heard him be interviewed. 
I think he's fun behind the scenes. I like Jokic a lot, but we do need to work on the interviews. Like he's got to spice this up a little bit. I almost fell asleep no. as he was accepting the MVP on on TNT. No, the the interviews are terrible. But Andrew, this is like Drew Holiday locked up Damian Lillard territory. <laughs> I missed there's it. two anic- there's two anecdotes about Jokic. One, he drinks crazy amounts of uh, you know, cola when he first came into the NBA. Uh-huh. And then two is he likes the horses. You know, he likes the harness racing horses. Those yeah. are the two details about him. He also has brothers. Um, those are the three things that anyone knows about Jokic. That's all he's allowed us to know. And I'm just impressed that, you know, the big city media observers like yourself um, didn't snub him this year. I mean, you're mm. going out here and giving the coach of the year award to Tom Thibodeau. I mean, that looks worse than Westbrook's MVP already. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just glad Jokic got 91 first place votes. I don't know how it happened. I don't know if it was my, you know, campaigning on this show, bending over backwards, screaming it from the rooftops, or maybe everyone else in the world, Andrew, can appreciate greatness and you're just late to the party. Well, I have been on the bandwagon for most of the season. I'm happy for Jokic. We're going to come back to Jokic later in the show and shout out to drinking a gallon of soda per day. That reminds me of Karan Butler's Mountain Dew addiction during like the mid-2000s Wizards years. One day we'll have a special episode dedicated to uh, NBA dieting. How about that? That sounds great, but what's the worst habit you've ever had? I mean, I was definitely cranking out way too many sugar-free Red Bulls back in the day. I mean, a scary, scary amount. Hmm. Um, um, are you, well, What's the worst one you're willing to admit to on a subscription podcast? Listen to by <laughs> somewhere between thousands and millions of Well, listeners. so off the top of my head, the worst thing I can think of is like, Early 20s, I I would say like half of my dinners were fresh bread pizza, like from the age of 22 to 24 or 25, got out of college, had no idea how to take care of myself, and fresh bread pizza, and then I'd also have like a half pint of ice cream every night, and it was... It was quite a time. I'm glad I'm not there anymore, but uh, yeah, I can't think of anything worse than that. No wonder you love Paris so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the finer things in life. That's what I'm about. And speaking of the finer things in life, let's finally get to Shake Milton, okay? Because Ben and I are recording this on Tuesday night. It's 1030 East Coast time. Sixers Hawks just concluded. And I insisted that we wait for Sixers Hawks to be played before recording the podcast because there was a real shot that the Sixers were to go down 2-0 and would be the biggest story in the NBA. Lo and behold, the Sixers take care of business. And as the game was winding down, I put out a call to the goats on Twitter asking for questions for this podcast. And uh, Jan, who's a buddy of mine who lives in Germany, responded and said, who is Shake Milton and why is he called Shake? So Shake Milton was the star of the second half. He had 14 points, hit a bunch of threes. The Sixers literally just needed anything from the bench, and Shake Milton stepped up and uh, closed out Atlanta to tie the series. Shake Milton is a guard from SMU. Ben, do you know why he's called Shake? I don't know why he's called Shake. Does it have anything to do with Coca-Cola or harness racing? I it mean, doesn't. This like it the, doesn't. This seems like the one detail I should know about <laughs> Shake Milton, but I don't know it. Well, we're going some weird places tonight, but I will just read you. I did a little research while I was waiting for you to call, and it, I found this story on NBC Sports Philly. Um, 
And it starts like this. It says, before we tell the story of one of the greatest names in Sixers history, we've got to go back a little ways long before Shake Milton was born. As Lisa Milton, Shake's mother, tells it, her late husband Myron was a late bloomer, but when he grew, he grew quick. So quick, in fact, that the kids were like, you must have been drinking a lot of milk. And when Myron played college basketball at Texas A&M, the nickname stuck and Milkman lived on. And let me tell you, Milk loved nicknames. So when Lisa was 27 years old, she was pregnant with her first son, Malik. As Lisa remembers, one of her friends touched her pregnant belly and said, how is little Shake doing? What, Lisa remembers? You know, like Milkshake. And so that is how Shake Milton's nickname was born. He is the son of the Milkman Milton, and that is Milkshake. So that's just a little fun fact from this side of the line, Ben. The part of that story that jumped out to me was touching a someone else's pregnant belly. Um, I'm wondering if I've ever touched a pregnant belly besides my mother's. Have mm. you? Um, I can't say that I have. I, I think that must have been a female friend. I feel like that is definitely crossing a, a boundary if you're a guy touching someone, else, someone else's belly. Yeah, I just still think in general, you know, kind of gender neutral. It seems like it's, you know, gray area um, to me, but mm. a phenomenal origin story for Shake Milton. And all these years later, he's gunning down the juggernaut Hawks. Who could have seen it coming? <laughs> yeah. So a couple more Sixers Hawks questions. We have a lot to get to tonight, so I don't want to spend too much time on this game. Uh, at Shut Your Pickles asks, was there anything more predictable than a game one Sixers loss? It seemed very on brand for Embiid, Simmons, and Doc to come out and drop that game. What did you think? Like, what are your general impressions after game one and game two? You can take it wherever you want. Well, this is a case where it's probably better that we didn't tape after game one and waited until game two. I actually thought it was a really impressive response um, from Philadelphia in game two. They got up early. I didn't think that Atlanta was just going to fold right off the bat. And so that required, you know, some real focus from the Sixers. And they're the last team I would ever like to praise under almost any circumstances. But Embiid was awesome. I thought they reasserted control of the series. They made some really good defensive adjustments, kind of uh, kept Trey Young in check. And, uh, you know, Embiid was just by far and away the very best player on the court. He had some spectacular individual moves mm -hmm. from a finesse and movement standpoint on that knee that I wasn't totally sure was going to happen. Um, you know, I just thought maybe he would be a little bit more limited in how he was able to play. So I think that was a very positive sign if you're a Philadelphia fan. And I also just, in general, think it, it's ludicrous that we're opening with this series when all <laughs> the other series are better than it. Well, so I don't know if I agree. I mean, first of all, to echo what you said, Embiid was phenomenal tonight, 40 and 13. I think he had 39 in game one, and he looks a lot better than I expected coming into this series. Uh, he's not totally. moving quite as well on defense, but having him at this level is like a massive win for the Sixers, given what we were imagining a week ago. So uh, congrats to them. And Bede, the sequence in the first half where Capella dunked on him and Embiid made a point of going down on the other end and like hitting Capella with the forearm shiver and then dunking on the Hawks. 
that was so fucking cool. And I just came away thinking, oh my God, if I were a fan of the Sixers, like I would just be worshiping this dude. Uh, and so I appreciated him being part of all of this. The one thing I would push back on beyond all that is I do think the Hawks are pretty good. And I think like there's a way to look at this series and every time the okay, Sixers are down. struggling. Okay, what? Are, are they good or are they pretty good? Um, pretty good. And are, are we really that impressed with pretty good at this stage of the playoffs is my question. Well, I think you could watch these games and make the mistake of thinking that both of these teams are frauds because every time the Sixers are like trading blows with the Hawks, you can look up and say, why is this series close? It's the Hawks. They should be blowing this team out if they're a real one seed. And by the same token, you could look at the Hawks and be like, really? Like Trey Young, Gallinari, like we're supposed to take these guys seriously. But I I think that when you actually look at Atlanta's roster, there's a lot of talent there. And when Trey Young is playing well, that team is just a huge pain in the ass, no matter how you want to like characterize John Collins, right? Like all of these guys are, are real dudes that you have to deal with. And then the Sixers, Embiid is a real dude. The rest of the starters are okay. The bench has been shockingly bad so far. Uh, but I do think that they like know who they are and know how they want to play. And that coherence makes them a tough out as well. You know, it's well argued. I still wonder uh, if the emailer wasn't correct that game one was more about Philly than Atlanta, though. You know, yeah. I think Atlanta was poised to take, to take advantage. It did just feel like an egg to me. Well, is it possible that game one was also about the Washington Wizards where the Sixers just like hadn't played a real basketball team in two weeks and had no idea what that was like? So the first half was sort of a rude awakening. That's definitely very, very possible. Look, don't misconstrue this. I'm not trying to be that negative um, about the Atlanta Hawks at this point, but I just still think that they've got a lot to prove, right? Like I, I didn't come away from game one like oh wow like all those upset predictions are guaranteed to happen now if they hadn't bounced back in game two and that's why I really kind of give Philly more the blame in game one and Philly more the credit in game two because I thought despite Atlanta's ability to shoot the basketball um, you know Philly was able to control game two basically from start to finish even when it got tight they didn't get tight right they were still kind of in control yeah and they've got enough talent where like Simmons can basically be a scoring zero and they can still get by with it right Um, now that did involve a little bit of more contributions I think from the bench and our guy shake uh, the you know (laughs) lay your hands on the belly shake man absolutely now you know Um, But, you know, they had enough and it, you know, it really wasn't, um, you know, particularly difficult for them. Now, Atlanta's got the great home crowd. They played awesome at home uh, during the first round series, and they've been more fun to watch than I expected to. They're very, um, you know, aside from some of the dumb mistakes, they stick to their uh, plans pretty well, right? Like, I I don't want to call them disciplined, but like they know where they're going. They consistently generate good shots, especially in game one. That became a little bit more of a, a question in game two. But, um, you know, they're going to be a, a tougher, you know, a tough-ish out uh, kind of for anybody, right? Now, yeah. well, do, and- do I think that they're this great collection of amazing talent and t- Trey Young's got weapons on every side of them? No, like I don't. I mean, they have a lot of stretches where you're just like, have these guys ever played basketball before? And I think my, <laughs> my two other takeaways, Okay. I mean, is Lloyd Pierce the biggest loser of the playoffs? 
Yeah, I, I they look so much better now. It, and I think like the entire basketball media is like slowly adjusting to the Hawks actually having a plan on offense and Trey Young finding like a workable equilibrium at point guard. And I think a lot of the credit has to go to Nate McMillan. And you can look at that the other way and say, what the hell was Lloyd Pierce doing for a couple years there? And so, yeah, I mean, that that is part of the story for sure. The only other thing I would add is that I've seen a bunch of like fraudulent Eastern Conference teams win around and overreact. And then suddenly, like we look up five years later and nothing happened to that team. And I just don't know if I would put the Hawks in that category because some of their young guys, like we're watching them right now without DeAndre Hunter, without Cam Reddish. Kevin Herter looks like exactly the type of dude you want in the playoffs. Bogdan and Trey are like really good, explosive building blocks in the backcourt. And so I just wasn't prepared to be this impressed with the Hawks after three or four weeks of playoff games. But I do feel like this little, this, this audition has gone better than expected. And then the next few years are going to be pretty interesting in Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, the thing that bothers me is that comp season has completely gone off the rails. Like, I keep seeing people want to do the photoshops with the Hawks backcourt and the Warriors backcourt from like three or four years ago. And it's like, well, come yeah. on. I mean, <laughs> if you're going to if you're going to go that route, it's more like kind of the Blazers backcourt that 2019 conference finals. And I mean, same thing. People wanted to say Kawhi Leonard's game six against the Mavericks was like LeBron's game six against um, the Boston Celtics. And look, I mean, LeBron's doing that against four or five Hall of Famers. Kawhi's doing it against a John Wick extra. I mean, well, give me a break. Like, don't it's... don't go that direction. It was the best game I've ever seen Kawhi play. It wasn't even close to being on the same the level as Eastern Conference LeBron's Finals against game the Celtics. Six, nobody gives a shit about the Clippers. Like, they will trend on Twitter for 24 hours, whatever. But, like, at the end of the day, who really cares? Kawhi's still rich and living in, like, relative anonymity in Southern California. Whereas LeBron coming into that game six, literally the entire sports world was ready to just like shit all over the heat and call LeBron a coward, call the heat a bunch of frauds. And it was all on him. Not only that, actually, the Celtics themselves were calling out LeBron throughout that series and like going at his neck, questioning his manhood. And then to come out, with all of that as context and do what LeBron did in game six, I mean, that is still the most impressive like single game of basketball I've seen in my entire life. So I agree that's a non-comparable. Um, how, how does that relate to the Hawks? I'm curious. How does that relate to my Kevin Herter praise? Well, if you were paying attention, I said that people were trying to compare the Hawks backcourt to the Warriors backcourt. Oh, and well, yeah. Here come the Hawks, you know, <laughs> storming onto the scene like the young Warriors. And it's like, come on, guys, don't do this. I'm not making that mistake, but uh, congrats to the Hawks. And then Jan said, which of these teams do you think can give the Nets more trouble in the next round, assuming James Harden is out? Um I think it's this. I think both of these teams are going to be heavy underdogs. Philly, but Philly. Philly. Yeah. The answer is Philly. Look, if Embiid's playing like forty and thirteen Embiid, then it's obviously Philly to me. And I think that, unfortunately, you know Atlanta's style of play would just go right into how Brooklyn wants to do it. And Brooklyn's got more efficient scores, more proven scores, more experience. 
um, more depth, in my opinion. Brooklyn's getting amazing contributions from up and down their rotation right now. And so I think that that one, which was really fun during the regular season, we got so many like 143 to 141 games. Yeah. Um, I think it's better for the series competitiveness um, if it's Philly rather than Atlanta. My other question for you, though, coming out of game two is this. At what point will even the most casual fans give up on Simmons's offensive development, right? Because he played 35 minutes tonight, took three shots. Of course, he didn't attempt any threes. He missed both of his <laughs> free throw attempts. And he finds ways to help. Like, it's not like he's, he's out there just a being a bum. Player. Yeah, that's right. important to clarify. But what I'm saying is, like, I still hear from people. He's 24 years old now, right? And I was expecting him to have made some progress from when I saw him when he was 17 years old in high school, right? There's Mm -hmm. been no offensive progress to his game whatsoever. He has not addressed his flaws in any way. The things he was good at back when he was 17, he's slightly better at. The things he was bad at, he has made zero progress in terms of in-game impact uh, and development. But people will still try to be like, hey, it's only his fourth season because he missed his entire rookie year. (laughs) Or he's only 24. Like, you know, a lot of people like develop late. When will the entire world give up the goose? And look, I know real basketball fans are like, you know, people who are like really locked into this stuff Uh have already kind of given up. But I still hear from people just being like, God dang, what, what could Simmons become if he ever added a jump shot? And I gave up on that after his second full season where, you know, he's just no attempts. And it's like, all right, like if you're not even going to try, then, you know, this is, you know, it's, it's kind of like the breakup situation, right? Where someone's just tanking it because they want it to blow up. And it's like, all right, at some point you have the dinner time conversation. It's like, look, we're all just here wasting each other's time. Like let's, (laughs) let's not even, let's not even pretend anymore. Let's just blow this up. Yeah. That was me and my relationship with faith in Simmons' ability to develop as an offensive player. Uh When does the whole world reach that um, conclusion? How many more of these playoff runs will he start to get, um, it's not even the benefit of the doubt. It's just like holding out hope for a brighter tomorrow. And I've noticed not even Doc Rivers is doing it, right? He's he's focused the entire conversation on, well, <laughs> yeah. look, he can impact this game in a lot of other ways. Defensive player of the year, you know, that kind of – he's steering it that look, direction. He's not even addressing the lack of shooting. So when is everybody on board? Doc is channeling Kellyanne Conway whenever he is asked about Ben Simmons in these post-game pressers. All right, that is the end of the free preview of this episode. If you'd like to hear more, you can go to goat.supportingcast.fm. I've also included a link to that site in our show notes for today's episode. Go there, subscribe. You can hear the rest of today's show, plus two episodes per week that Ben and I will record. We'd love to have you subscribe, and the next few months should be fun. Mm-hmm.